0: Anytime we receive new members into our congregation, it's a joyous day, but as important as this specific day is, of course, becoming a member of a community doesn't just happen in one day, it takes time, and I've been thinking about our new members, and I imagine they still feel a little new to this community. They're really just starting to make relationships, and maybe they even wonder, what have I gotten myself into? I know that many of you are wondering, what is this Presbyterian thing? What does it mean to be Presbyterian? How do I explain this to my family? Maybe you know that we have roots in Scotland. You're wondering, do I have to go buy a kilt? Well, here's what I'd like to say. Being a Presbyterian is great. In my humble opinion, it's the best way to be a Christian, but it's not the main thing. The main thing is not whether you're a Baptist or Catholic or non-denominational, the main thing is that Jesus Christ is the center of your life. And I can tell you that I read widely and I learn just as much from writers of other denominations as I do from Presbyterians, which tells me that God is very generous in the way that he distributes wisdom. In a moment, we're gonna read the story of what's sometimes called the birthday of the church. It's that moment in the weeks after Jesus ascended that the early church first got a whole bunch of converts. You'll notice in this story that people were not converting to a denomination. There is no mention in this story of Episcopalians or Methodists or Lutherans. Why is that? It's because the early church was one. There were no denominations. There was just one community that followed Jesus together. And yet, here's the irony, this oneness did not make people the same. In fact, exactly the opposite. The early church was so diverse that if we went to one of these churches, it would probably still take our breath away. Martin Luther King Jr. used to say that the most segregated hour of the week in America is Sunday at 11 a.m., Of course, he was talking about the fact that Christian churches in our culture are less diverse than society at large. But the early church was more diverse than society at large. This is, in fact, what it was known for being and why it was so controversial. It was a radical social experiment in which rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, did something in the church that they did not do outside the walls of the church, which is that they treated one another as equals. It was an incredibly stratified society. To do that was radical. How did they do that? Well, that is the message and the miracle of Pentecost. I'll give you a hint. It has something to do with language. Think about it. Language can be very alienating. Because if you don't speak another person's language, isn't it very hard to communicate with them? Which is why the miracle of Pentecost involved speaking other people's languages. This will make more sense in just a moment. Let's first look at our reading. This is from the second chapter of Acts, verses 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts on this, your holy word, be acceptable in your sight and life-giving to us and through us as your people. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to start with a story. When I was 19 years old, I traveled to Spain to begin a semester abroad. I have to tell you that my Spanish at this time was... Awful. It was classroom Spanish, and it wasn't good even good classroom Spanish. The day I flew into Seville, I had a little downtime, so I locked my suitcase into one of those keyed lockers in a bus station, and I walked around for a few hours. Well, when I came back later that night to get my bag, I discovered that I had lost my key, And so there was a bus station attendant, and I had to go to him and explain to him that I had a bag that was locked. It was my bag, but I needed his help to get it out of the locker. And here was the problem, he did not speak any English. And of course, my Spanish was terrible. God bless this man, he was so patient with me. It took us about 30 minutes of making hand gestures, and writing images on pieces of paper, he kept asking me this question that for literally, for 15 minutes I didn't understand, finally it dawned on me that he wanted me to describe the contents of my bag so that he knew that it actually was my bag. Well, I finally got my bag out of the locker, but I I can't tell you how lonely I felt that first night in Spain. I got to my hotel and the first thing I did was to call my mother. (laughs) I was just so upset And it was all because of language, right? Without language, I could not connect with this man who was two feet away from me. We were so close physically, and yet we may as as well have been in in, in other cities because we couldn't talk to one another. Let me suggest what might have made a difference. Let's say in the course of my conversation with this man that someone else had come in and begun speaking to me in perfect English, Well, suddenly I would have felt understood, seen, acknowledged for who I really was because language is powerful. And our native language is particularly powerful because it's the language in which our identities are formed. Think of a mother or father rocking their baby to sleep. I see Dustin rocking Alexander back there in the back of the sanctuary. A mother doesn't just rock her child, she speaks to that child, doesn't she? She speaks tender, comforting words to that child. And this is how infants begin to understand who they are through words spoken to them in their native language. Language is powerful. It then goes on to become the basis of consciousness itself. I don't want to get too much into the weeds here, but what philosophers tell us is that without words, thinking itself would be impossible. And so our very identities, our sense of who we are is based in language, and of course our ability to have meaningful relationships with others is also based in language. There is no way that you could share anything with another person of value without the words to use to express those things. So that's background info for our story today. Here's what's happening. Jerusalem is full of pilgrims who were all speaking different languages. It's the Jewish festival of Shavuot, which means that Jews from around the world, people from all around the Jewish diaspora have returned to Jerusalem to make a pilgrimage to the temple. And the story says very clearly that this is an extraordinary amount of diversity. There are Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, people from Cappadocia, people from Pontius and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia and Egypt, all of these places in the ancient world. Now, the disciples are also in Jerusalem. They have just watched Jesus ascend into heaven. And if you remember Rebecca's sermon last week, Jesus gave the disciples a clear command. They are to go and make disciples of all nations. Well, here they are in Jerusalem, and suddenly all the nations have come to them. What a great opportunity. They have all of these people right here in Jerusalem. It's the perfect missionary opportunity to tell people about this miracle that they've experienced In the death and resurrection of Christ, there's just one problem. The only language they speak is Aramaic. I mean, maybe they speak a little Greek. That was the lingua franca of the day. But they definitely don't speak all of these other languages. So how in the world are they supposed to make disciples of all nations? They say that Queens, New York is the most linguistically diverse place on earth. There are apparently 800 languages spoken in Queens, so it would sort of be like Jesus leaving the disciples in Queens and they don't, even speak Ara- they don't even speak English, right? They only speak Aramaic. And Jesus says, do you see all of these people from around the world speaking Spanish and Senegalese and Urdu and Cantonese? You're going to start a church with them. Go. Okay, obviously they need a miracle. Somehow God has to break down this barrier between all these people who speak different languages. So here's the thing. This miracle could happen in one of two ways, right? The disciples need to communicate with all of these foreigners. There are two possible ways this could happen. Either all of these foreigners could suddenly understand Aramaic, the language of the disciples, that might work. Or these disciples, these Galileans, would suddenly have to learn all these other languages. Two options. Here's my question to you. Based on what you know about God, which one do you think God chooses? I mean, remember, God is the one who created the world in all of its diversity. God is the one who toppled the Tower of Babel. Do you remember that story? People had begun to speak the same language, and it offended God. He destroyed their tower, mandating diversity on earth. What about Christ? What about the way that he sought out people who had been left out? The Samaritans, the foreigners, the sinners, the unclean. There seems to be a pattern here, doesn't there? And so when God is birthing the Christian church, do you really think that he would want all of these people to speak one language? No. And so he chooses option two. He makes the disciples speak their languages. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit descends On these disciples, and they are given the ability to speak to people in whatever their native language is. I I want us to imagine that we are at this scene to hopefully demonstrate how powerful this would be. I want to ask you to imagine that you are visiting Jerusalem, you are a pilgrim, and you have traveled a long way. You're excited to be in this place, but of course, you also feel out of place. Maybe like I felt when I arrived in Seville as a foreigner. You're pushing your way through those narrow streets in Jerusalem, which are so crowded. Maybe you hold your purse tight against your body. Certainly, you grasp your child's hand extra tightly. When you do have to speak to people, you probably try to speak Greek, which is not your native language. It's not the language that you think in. It's not the language that you dream in. It's not the language that your parents spoke to you when they were nursing you as a child. So it's a rather impersonal scene, and then something incredible happens through the crowd. All of a sudden, you hear words you understand. You hear a voice addressing you in your native language. If you speak Parthian, you hear a disciple speaking to you in Parthian, the very language that has shaped your consciousness. I mean, it's kind of like this stranger already knows you because he's entering into the way you see the world here's what i'd like to tell you this is what the church is supposed to be like this is the miracle that formed the church this is the blueprint of what churches are supposed to be like when you come to church it should feel personal it should feel like people are addressing you in your native language Now, that raises some questions because I'll be the first to admit that we in the church often fail to embody the spirit of Pentecost. So often we don't honor other people's experiences. We, in fact, demand that they begin to speak our language even if it feels foreign to them. And the evidence of this is the same evidence that Martin Luther King Jr. pointed out. Our churches are less diverse than the outside world when they're supposed to be more diverse. And that can only mean one thing. We're not doing a very good job of learning other languages. Now, I say that metaphorically. I don't expect all of you to go out and buy Rosetta Stone and start learning other people's languages. What I would like to suggest is that you try listening to people's stories. Most people don't listen very well. Here's the evidence. How much do you really know even other people in this room? Do you know them superficially or do you really know them your brothers and sisters in this congregation I'm not talking about people out there I'm talking about the people who are in this room right now I'll bet you would be surprised if you knew what people in this congregation have actually lived through I've been here 11 years I probably know more than you do and yet I continually learn things that surprise me there's a deeper issue here and we've talked about this in some recent sermons The truth is that if you really want to get to know another person, you're going to have to learn things that are not pleasant. Of course, you always start with the pleasant stuff. That's natural. It takes time to build trust. I would encourage you to start with pleasant stuff. Don't lead with your wounds. But there's a reason that these pilgrims converted so quickly to Christianity. It wasn't just that they appreciated the medium, they also appreciated the message. It was the story the disciples told them that God himself had gone to the cross and suffered in their place. They had never heard a message like that. And you see, these people had also suffered. Everybody suffers. And the story, this unbelievable story of a crucified Messiah, can you believe that? Made them feel known in a way that no other story could because you can't really know another person until you know something about how they've suffered. Here's a really casual example that I think speaks to this point. A few weeks ago, I was listening to NPR and I caught an interview with the actress, Rosie Perez. Some of you might've heard her on uh, Fresh Air a few weeks ago. Of course, I knew who Rosie Perez was. I had seen some of her movies, but I had never thought about her for more than a moment. I had never had any interest in knowing anything about her But I listened to this interview and she spoke about how much she suffered in her early life. Her mother was mentally ill. She placed Rosie Perez in a group home where she spent the majority of her childhood separated from her biological family. It was profoundly traumatic. What Rosie Perez overcame in order to have success in her career was incredibly inspiring, but there's something more that I wanna stress. At the end of that interview, I felt like I knew her. I hadn't known her before. And now I felt that I actually knew who she was. Why? Because I had learned something about her native language. Her experience. The suffering that she went through. Now, if you follow this logic, it will take you to a very deep place. Because if it's true that we can only know another person after we learn about their suffering, that, of course, helps explain the cross. What is the cross? It's where God invites us to know him, to speak his native language, to enter his experience by learning about his suffering. Now that's something. This is not just a story, this is not just a myth, this really happened. The God of creation showed the world that he feels pain This is not like other gods, who are always models of perfection. You can't really know those other gods because they never suffer, right? But the God of the Bible invites you to enter into his suffering so that you can actually know him. Do you remember the story of doubting Thomas we looked at a few weeks ago? What did Jesus invite Thomas to do? To put his finger in the nail marks. God was saying, I suffer too, Thomas. Therefore, you can trust me. Therefore, you can know me. I really do want to be in a loving relationship with you. That is ultimately the point point of the cross that it brings us close to God in a way that you could never be close to any other God because you can't feel close to a God who's invulnerable. You can't cuddle with a robot. You can't be comforted by a statue, but you can feel loved by someone who died for you, that love will change you not all at once, but slowly. Every week we show up at church, we chip away at our pride and over time we become more humble and then we hopefully create a community in which we learn to speak one another's languages because that's what church is. It's a place where we welcome people not as we would have them be, but as they actually are because that's how God welcomes them. Let's end in prayer. God, your spirit does things that we can only dream of. It breaks through our defenses and it washes away our pride. It leaves us open to one another and to you. We thank you and praise you that you alone are a God of true salvation. Amen.